0: Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. Today, you have me, Erica, and uh, we're going to talk about some interesting topics today. A couple of them are pop culture, but... um, they have some serious ramifications. So, first of all, before I start, I have to do some housekeeping. Okay, so uh, it's the second day of Black History Month, and if you want to support somebody on Black History Month, you can support the podcast. Um It's only $7 a month, which is the price of a grande, you know I'm right, at badandbitchy.com. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and also share with your networks. If you have any questions or comments about any of the episodes or you have suggestions for subjects or something like that, contact us by email badandbpod at gmail.com. Follow, also, follow us on Twitter at badandbitchy and Instagram at badandbitchypod. Okay, let's get it. I have a question for you all. Is Western imperialism on its way out? And are we seeing the rise of the global south? So, for those who don't know, I have a column in the Hill Times and I asked these questions especially to the audience, or more like I wrote about them. And I have noticed in the past, say, couple of years, that there seems to be a breakdown of the unipolar world where America is at the head, and the power structure is kind of more multipolar. And I say this because a lot of us see the western hypocrisy in rule of law and international law and human rights and the hypocrisy of these values and the emptiness of their meaning and i think this has been happening i gotta say since the invasion of afghanistan and the invasion of iraq and i think the fact that we that um we canada the u.s and everybody else in that coalition who went into Afghanistan, really shit the bed. We haven't made it better. Um, You can argue whether or not we made it worse, but there was a lot of fanfare in the beginning, and I felt that, or what I saw, was that we blasted the Taliban out, and now they're back. So I'm not sure what we did there, except ruin a sort of continuity. And you could talk about girls going to school. But the point is, we effed it up. And I'm, I'm somebody who does not believe that Western powers do wars well. I think there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, we don't do post-war rebuilding very well. Because we do it in our own image. We also, we don't have the attention span for war. If you look at what's happening in Ukraine right now, and Ukraine started what, like a year ago? Or was it 2021? No, it was 2022, my bad. We're up to two years of this war, and it seems like we lost interest, and it's devastating for Ukraine because they put a lot on the line for this war. And I may not have agreed with the war, but at the end of the day, once you're in, you're in. And the third point is, I think the, the West has just lost its way if it ever had it in the beginning. Um, as you know, South Africa brought a case before it the International Court of Justice that really um, challenged Israel's tactics in Gaza. And what we saw from the Western countries is that dehumanization and the complicity in these war crimes and in genocide. So again, there's... There's a blatant rejection of international law and human rights that the West has been pushing down people's throats, and don't get me wrong, I believe in human rights, and I believe in the rule of law, and I believe in all that. But it it is subjective to who the victims are. So let's do some background. Uh, The Western Imperialist Project is basically being challenged by the rise of the Global South, as I was saying. So um, we're going to get used to a world where America is not the only one who has the real power. And to be fair, America had power because of its military. You know, they could back up their threats their, or whatever through the military because their military was the best in the world after the Soviet Union, which, of course, fell in 1991. The point is is that warfare has changed. In the 21st century, the empowerment of terrorists and insurgents after five decades of relative stability in the global system of nations led to judgment that war's nature was irrevocably changed and defined by these actors. Within two decades, the confident assertion was replaced by the notion that electronic communication systems, robotics, and artificial intelligence would be so radically different that the essence of war would be determined by them. Despite these assertions, the fundamentals of war have not changed. As you could see, guerrilla tactics are really having their moment in the 21st century and are very useful against classic armies. So I was reading somewhere that when it comes to Yemen the, and their blockage of the Red Sea, there are some things to consider. Yemen has been at war since for a long time, maybe since twenty ten or something like that. So you have like war- hard war beaten people here. they're smart, they're cunning. I mean these aren't people who just emerged from the cage and started fighting. I think what happens is that we think that our enemy is um less intelligent than us, less savvy than us. Um, weaker than us, and that's not the case anymore. So what's happening is that you can tell that conventional warfare is changing. And the commodification of these weapons, drones, missiles, um, those kinds of things, is pretty much, and this naturally, weapons come from previous wars and and research and and technology but the cost of a conventional army and especially a navy navies are really expensive because navies are really expensive apparently or the houthis have a comparative advantage in terms of cost and usage an average houthi missile is about two thousand dollars $1,500 Fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. The cost of a missile in conventional warfare, as you're seeing the U.S. Navy really move in to the Red Sea, is about a million dollars. So the the actual cost of warfare um, really does determine how long it can it can actually go on for. So I just want you to keep that in mind. Countries in the Global South were mostly at the receiving end of imperialism and rule. By 2030, it is projected that three of the four largest economies will be from the Global South. China, India, the United States, and Indonesia. Already the GDP in terms of purchasing power of the Global South is dominated by BRICS nations, BRICS is a group of nations that have a pact. Um, So that includes Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Later came Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. They already have the purchasing power that surpasses that of the Global North's G7 Club. So you can tell resistance in the face of ongoing genocide in Gaza, where the ultimate decolonial struggle of the Global South are related. The elements intrinsic to the colonial system, namely exploitation, plunder and violence, in this case a system imposing an apartheid regime, carrying out a project of ethnic cleansing and waging a veritable media war in an attempt to propagate misleading narratives and erroneous readings of history have confused the oppressor versus the oppressed, the victims and the perpetrators. The West always fought for access to resources, for it to establish its economic and political hegemony systematically resorting to violence. From 1960 to today, $152 trillion had been taken from the Global South to the Global North. All of those in BRICS, except for Iran, have one day or another experienced the torments of colonialization and neo-colonialization expressed their solidarity with Palestine and its long anti-colonial resistance. Let's go back to 2022, and let's talk about when Russia invaded Ukraine. This is an, this is very interesting, and I think this is where the global south really flexed. So in 2022, uh, the U.S., Canada... The U.K. and European allies asked the Global South to publicly vote against Russia, against and to condemn Russia's aggression against Ukraine, and impose sanctions on Moscow. Well, most of the Global South stayed out of the fray, determined not to disengage from Russia or join the West's geopolitical and geoeconomic economic contest with China. Now, this is this is actually an amazing story. So here's probably why. India has been traditionally dependent on Moscow for military supplies. Southeast Asian countries need Russian and Ukrainian grain and fertilizer, as do many African countries that also have long-standing military links with Moscow. To be honest, um, African countries have long-standing relations with Moscow um, ever since the Cold War. I would say ever since independence, nineteen sixties, nineteen fifties, and African students have long have long gone to Moscow uh, to be educated. And so, never negate the. long-standing relationships that they have. One thing you could say about BRICS is that they, the African countries and the South American countries and, and the Middle Eastern countries, one thing I've read is that they do get treated as equals by Russia, and it's in stark contrast to their experience dealing with the West. Now, this is no pro-Russia campaign here. I'm just trying to lay it out the way it is. So please don't think you could come after me with the Russian propaganda thing. So here's a clip from Africa is a Country. And if you don't know that platform, I suggest you add it to your bookmarks. Because if you want to know anything about Africa outside of a Western colonial lens, Africa as a country, is a great resource. Um, they, this clip will explain a little bit more about how these relationships are changing.
1: And it's about how in the wake of the war in Ukraine, states in the global south have been reluctant effectively to pick a side and have insisted on a stance on neutrality, so as to leverage their politics uh, for for favourable policies and concessions from the West, from China, from whichever country it may be. And maybe this is a bit of a pedantic quibble, but I was wondering about calling this a non-alignment, because if we think about the original iteration of the non-aligned movement in the 20th century, it had an explicitly anti-colonial, anti-imperial orientation. And its goal was to reorder the international state system entirely so that it followed more egalitarian lines. Whereas today's non-alignment seems a little bit more pragmatic. does the terminology matter uh, or do you think it's it's worthy of the name to call this uh, a non-alignment and, and what's driving it exactly?
2: Yeah, I think what's driving it is a fissuring of the global economy after the war. Um, that's, that's the main driver. We've been in a period of very strong geopolitical competi- competition between the U.S. and China um, and countries have been sort of forced to pick sides. And that was already sort of forcing countries to sort of be like, "Hey, I you know we 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 are linked to the Chinese, we are economic trade, we are commodity flows, um and we want to climb the ladder just like they have done, um and that's something that we might want to think about copying and then the West sort of comes along and says, "No, you have to pick a side. you really can't pick Huawei for your five g telecom networks. You really can't pick you know a chip company that produces cheap chips." And so countries were already being forced to pick sides. Um, and then once the invasion, once Russia invaded Ukraine, um, there was um, you know, a very small coterie of countries, the G7 countries, the seven sort of largest economies um, in the world, largely rich, largely white, largely industrialized. Um, and these countries essentially created a sort of a financial firewall um, against Russia, so while the while Russia engaged in a very brutal and bloody bombing uh, campaign and, a, and a, a ground invasion, the West did not respond with ground troops. It responded by arming the Ukrainians to fight against the aggression on their on their homeland, and it responded by a very sharp sort of financial iron curtain that falls on Russia and literally traps any banking movement, any trade movement, um, any technological movements between Russia and the rest of the world, with the goal to essentially bring the Russian economy down to its knees, prevent its war fighting potential, and perhaps change Putin and his regime's mind. Um, And then essentially the G7 realized, wait, hang on a second, we can't really do this financial iron curtain. Without the cooperation of the big producing and importing countries that buy stuff from Russia. And so, you know, essentially the G7 created these sanctions without really talking to India, without talking to Brazil, without talking to Indonesia or Mexico or South Africa. Um, and that's where the non alignment movement has really begun. These countries essentially took. Um, They thought this was, you know, terribly rude. Um, And the West was being completely non-cooperative as if these large countries that have been growing very rapidly for the last three or four decades did not matter. When it came to calling the shots, the U.S. um, could just coordinate sanctions with its allies without anyone else in the room. So that's sort of the origin of that non-alignment, that sense of, hang on, we are like three quarters of of the world Uh, in terms of people, we are two-thirds in terms of global uh, GDP, and we are essentially not considered uh, before sanctions are created that has tremendous ripple effects and blowback impacts on our economies. And I think that's the source source of it.
1: Mm. Has it produced results so far, or is it too early to say? How have countries been able to leverage their neutral positions in their relationship to the West?
2: Yeah, so this is exactly sort of what I looked into, like what's, what? okay, so you, you're non-aligned, you, you know, you voted, you abstained from a vote at the UN. What's What does that really mean? Like, what, what are you hoping to demonstrate and what have you gotten out of it? Um, and so I kind of went to sort of the big emerging market countries um, that have a lot of geopolitical heft, thanks to their population, thanks to their market countries like India, Indonesia, Brazil, uh, UAE, and I asked, okay, what has been happening in the last you know year since the invasion began? And I found that a lot of these countries have experienced um a lot of attention from Western countries, in particular from Japan, from Germany, from France, from from the US. And in India, for example, you know, on the day of the invasion on the twenty-fourth of, of February. Um, within a week, uh, you had the Russian finance the foreign minister Lavrov show up in India. The Chinese foreign minister show up in India, and they were essentially sort of saying, "Join hands with us." Because if you join hands with us, then none of these sanctions um, can really hope to to achieve their goals. And India essentially sort of said, "You know what? Make the case to us." Um, and so the 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 Russians and the Chinese sort of offered various sorts of deals. Uh, surrounding commodities, in particular, so getting, the Russians offered India, you know, various discounts on the price of oil that they were uh, that they were uh, selling, um, and then as soon as those visits happened from you know Russia and China, you suddenly had the Japanese prime minister show up. The Americans sent an emissary. Um, Europe, the EU sent Ursula uh, Wonderland, the um, European president, and they signed a series of deals in March and April for everything from green investment to military uh, equipment. Um, And that was new. That's that's something that India and other developing countries have wanted for a long time. A lot of FDI, a lot of trade and a lot of technology transfer deals. Which they had hadn't been getting. They've been sort of barking up this tree for 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 many many decades now, um, and this was quite sudden and quite a large influx of um, uh, new technology deals. And as far as a country like India or Mexico or Brazil is concerned, what they really want is technology to power their sort of catch up, continual catch up growth. Um, and it seemed to me that there's a there's a case where each of these big countries um, got uh, technology transfers um, uh, in in a way that they hadn't gotten before.
0: I also want to mention a little tidbit: the Belt and Road Initiative, where Chinese firms are engaging in construction work across the globe on an unparalleled scale. So, President Xi Jinping announced his grand plan to connect Asia, Africa, and Europe. Um, this was about, I would say about 10 years ago. And the effects of that is that the World Bank is no longer the sole source of of financing. All right, let's move on to the next topic. And that is Taylor Swift and AI deepfakes. I think this is a very important um, subject. So Let's just run it down in terms of what happened. And then we'll talk about some of the considerations and then some of the effects. So last week, sexually explicit images of Taylor Swift that were generated by artificial intelligence spread quickly on social media as the latest example of the proliferation of AI generated fake pornography and if you remember uh, earlier, or sorry, late last year, we had an episode on AI and it really teaches you the basics of AI so that you can understand sort of follow-up podcasts that we will have about AI. So deep fakes are manipulated video produced by machine learning techniques to create realistic But fake images and audio has created a new tool to target women, allowing almost anyone to produce and share nude images of them. Now, there is no U.S. law on the books that makes it illegal to create deep fakes nationally, and neither in Canada. However, a bipartisan group of U.S. senators introduced a bill on Tuesday that would criminalize the spread of non the spread of non-consensual sexualized images generated by artificial intelligence. Now this is how it happened um, in the case of Taylor Swift. So these images went viral on Twitter after jumping from 4chan, to a telegram group dedicated to abusive images of women. The post was live on Twitter for around 17 hours prior to its removal. Now, luckily, you know, Taylor Swift has her group of Swifties that are notorious for their eminent support of Taylor Swift. And so they essentially jumped in to create a task force against these images. After a while, users searching for Taylor Swift on Twitter could find the explicit images for days until Twitter ultimately took away the ability to search for Taylor Swift on the platform. So let's get into some facts and figures. Um, Women, of course, are the most affected in the rash of what they call... This, which is sextortion, not only deep fakes, but revenge porn, as you know, is another uh, way of belittling somebody. So, deepfake pornography. Um, so, the non-pornographic deepfake videos are what male figures um, experience. Politicians which is a concern for political campaigns. Over 90% of deepfake videos deep fake videos, were Western subjects, and non-Western subjects featured in almost a third of videos on deepfake pornography websites, with South Korean K-pop stars making up a quarter of the subjects <coughs> targeted. 99% of the subjects featured... In deepfake pornography videos were actresses and musicians working in the entertainment sector. Now, this is a new form of gender-based violence, and it's called technology-facilitated gender-based violence. So that includes harassment online. Female journalists are particularly vulnerable. And I, along with Rachel from last week and Saba Itazaz, have experienced that last year it was horrible but other women to be honest aren't so lucky as others because they're not famous and so even though Taylor Swift had this happen to her there are many women for whom these images will continue to be shared year after year after year which will affect their employability, their relationships, anybody who looks them up could be navigated to those pictures. This particularly also impacts girls. So teenage girls are particularly vulnerable to this too. Groups of boys would make fake explicit sexual images of girls and share them in group chats. What is particularly vulnerable are chi- who is particularly vulnerable, are children. So strangers online make them uh, create these AI deepfakes of them as part of a grooming process to blackmail them and to threaten them. AI AI has also been used to generate images of child sexual abuse, which are shared and sold by offenders. You know, I swear I saw a law and order S.V.U. episode about this, which doesn't surprise me. So, this is a this is a new way of controlling women. S- Taylor Swift, who is particularly extraordinarily successful and powerful. I believe she's a billionaire, and it really is a way of humbling her and putting her back In her place, so to speak. And that is what I find the attitude of many of these extremist misogynistic communities. And it it does intersect with incels, of course. There seems to be this form of misogyny that is just growing online that we have no idea how to deal with. And guess where it came from? Gamergate. Remember we talked about Gamergate last week with Rachel? Well, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to that episode because we go through the Gamergate scandal and how that has paved the way for these kinds of exploitations. So there is a CIGI report called Technology Facilitated gender-based violence. It's at cgonline.org. And it really goes into detail about um, this phenomenon. This also is a way of putting women, like I said, putting women back in their place. But it also says to a woman, it doesn't matter who how, how high you are. It doesn't matter how successful you get. It doesn't matter how famous you get. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. What they're saying is we can reduce you to a sex object and there's nothing you can do about it. So I would suggest that you look for that um, report online. So this week we're going to do a misogynist of the week. Misogynist of the week is where we take a particular misogynist and highlight why they are misogynist. So this week, it's Nicki Minaj. (laughs) Let me just take you through this story, okay? Because a rap beef is a rap beef is a rap beef. So last Friday, Megan The Stallion released her song, Hiss. And it's a great song. And Nicki Minaj lost her shit on Twitter Friday night over the following line. These hoes don't be mad at Megan. These hoes mad at Megan's law. And we all went, let me hear that again. We could hear that diss, okay? So Megan's Law is the name for federal law in the United States requiring law enforcement authorities to make information available to the public regarding registered sex offenders, Laws were created in response to the murder of Megan Kanka, who was raped and murdered by a sex offender with two previous convictions of sex crimes. Megan was only seven. The lyric is a clear shot at Nicki Minaj, actually, her husband, Kenneth Petty, who Nicki dated when she was 16 years old and living at Queens. So they were a high school boyfriend and girlfriends. They married in 2018 and they have a son. Now, let me tell you about Kenneth Petty. He was convicted in April 1995 of attempted rape in the first degree for an incident that occurred in September 1994 involving a 16-year-old. He was sentenced to 18 to 54 months in prison. Now, later on, Petty also pleaded guilty to first-degree manslaughter in the shooting death of a man in 2002. He was sentenced to seven years to ten years. In 2017, Jelani Mirage, the older brother of Nicki Minaj, was found guilty for predatory sexual assault. Mirage was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. There's a lot on this beat, that, um, that reverberated from that one line. And I want y'all to listen to it.
1: Can if the beat live <laughs> hey, I feel like Mariah Carey Got these
0: niggas so obsessed My pussy so famous might get managed by Chris Jenner next He can't move on, can't let it go. He hook nose full of that tina snow And since niggas need making help to make money, bitch, come be my hoe. All of you bitches is we on the Bible. We talking shit for an or could find you. I can never be judged by a bitch that was dancing, making all can go viral. Hey, I'm sexy as fuck and I'm freaky. Get whoever I want any meaning. Why the fuck would I stay with a nigga that's weak in the sheets and don't know how to please me? Bodies on bodies on bodies on bodies. Say he fuck making and now he's a the topic. These niggas thinking they lower the I'll just promo, I'm turning to profit. Hey, when a nigga be kissing the tailor, say he'll play up he again in his what? feelings. Bet I won't give up the pussy again. Shit, I ain't right. to his friend. These hoes don't be mad at Megan. These hoes mad at Megan's
1: law. I don't really know what the problem is, but I guarantee y'all do not me start Bitch, you a pussy. Never to check me. Every chance you get, bitch, all weak ass won't address me.
0: Woo, those are bars. Now, now you can see why uh, Nikki got upset. Now, Nicky retaliated. I swear to you for like 24 to 48 hours on Twitter. Like I'm wondering, I was wondering where her PR people were to tell her to get off Twitter. Anyway, in this this rage-filled rant, Nikki did something that is considered misogynoir. She shared a picture it was AI generated of a gorilla that's supposed to be Megan. Now, Nicki Minaj is quite light-skinned. And for her to use a gorilla to, um, as a caricature for darker-skinned Black women is misogynoir. And colorism is a lot of ways in which Black women express misogynoir to darker-skinned Black women. But we can get into that another day. So two days after Megan dropped Hiss, Minaj responded with her own diss track, Bigfoot. It received lackluster reviews, and it has some weird whisper part in the end, which is kind of creepy, I must say. But to me, I didn't think it was that bad. Not as bad as people were making it out to be. The problem is that she basically took her tweets and, and made them into lyrics and then dropped a diss track and trust me nobody who knows hip-hop was was impressed at that now Bigfoot is in reference to Megan's height and her stature and it's also it also has another meaning we'll get to that later let's listen to Nikki's song shall we been trio,
1: been doing it been at it your flow is such a bore. Drinking a bottle of honey through a straw. Bitch, you're up stop the dialogue. No, so I hate calling by your catalog. <laughs> Sigh. How you fucking mother, man, when she die? How you gonna get a king and can't cry? Shut yeah. Bob. Big foot, but you pull a small fry. Swearing on your dead mother when you lie. Ayo. Begging hall, my Megan's Law. For a free beat, you can hit Megan raw. If you a ghost, bite a party in Megan jaw. Shot down, but I still ain't let Megan. Score. Bad bitch, she likes six foot. I call her Bigfoot. The bitch fell off. I said, get up on your good foot. Uh, still ain't top that trying mm-hmm. Tryna steal the source. I said, get up by my coat. <laughs> But really, I'm a city pie, P-R-T-T-Y, but I'm P-E-T-C-Y. Um, why did you lie about your lipo? Fucking your best friend, man, it's crazy. You the type though. You was lying to the queen, and you been lying to the king. Girl, the 30 year old seems so stale. Kylie kicked you out and made you stumble to the car. Bobs I need a good alcohol bar. Well man, wait, that was the bar. Like a bodybuilder, I keep raising the bar. Fuck you, just shot with no scars. This thing toxic. Somebody
0: it. Okay, maybe it is worse than I thought. Upon second listen. Anyway, she has this, this bar where she says, Y'all want to bring up family members and lying on your dead mother? Lied to Gail, lied on and fucked your best friend. Told me to drink and go to the clinic if I was pregnant all because I wouldn't let your funky butt pour liquor down my throat. Actually, that was a Twitter rant. But um, what this... First of all, Megan's mother is dead. She died of, I believe, brain cancer in 2019. So that's why she brings up the dead mother, which I think is out of order. Anyway, she accuses Megan of... Uh, pushing her to drink while pregnant. Hell, that, that's where the liquor down the throat comes. She does make a reference in the song to Megan and Tory Lanez. So in 2020, after leaving a Kyle Jenner's party, there was an argument that resulted in Tory Lanes shooting Megan the Stallion in her foot. He got 10 years for that and a concealed weapons charge. The trial was very high profile. Actually, man, Megan showed up in this perp- this violet suit, cropped hair. I I was like, man, she looked good. Anyway, that's not the point. Um again, uh Minaj mocked her mother and Minaj also claimed Megan was quote milking the Tory Lane shooting. Nikki mocked her mother and she also claimed Megan was milking the Lane shooting by attempting to win sympathy for herself as a victim. It's so obvious, says Minaj. She wanted a Rihanna moment so bad. And what she's referring to is Chris Brown's 2009 assault on Rihanna. And how what she's saying is that Rihanna moved on with her life. Now, I really have a problem with Nicki Minaj. Like, I don't believe she should speak. And, you know, she, she's vicious. So, you know, I think that what got under her skin, of course, was her husband. But I think she's threatened by Megan. Anyway. Let's move on in this hellscape of a story. Nicki Minaj also uh, has a problem with Cardi B that's been ongoing since Cardi, Cardi's career started in 2017. And in 2018, they met at a New York Fashion Week party that led to a physical altercation. Lil' Kim and Nicki Minaj also have beef. But what I really want to talk about, the second part of what I want to talk about, are the parasocial relationships, which are a psychological phenomenon in which an audience feels as if they have a real and personal connection with a popular mass media celebrity. Now, this phenomenon is not new. In the 60s and 70s, Beatlemania was a parasocial relationship. It took America by storm with the international debut of the Beatles. Kathleen and I, in the last podcast for 2023, talked about these parasocial relationships. While Taylor Swift has Swifties, Nicki Minaj has the Barbs, and her fan base is infamously vicious. The victim of Kenneth Petty's attempted rape, Jennifer Huff, recently did an interview on The Rail, The Real, sorry, revealing that she is suing Minaj and Petty for attempting to imitate her, intimidate her into recanting her rape accusations. Now, Nicki Minaj herself was was trying to get this woman to recant her testimony. The barbs bullying is becoming increasingly dangerous with fandom dramatically affecting people's lives. A Jennifer Huff, her life has been turned upside down, causing her to fear for her life and to move to different locations three separate times in order to be safe. Music reviewers who gave positive critiques to uh, Cardi B's 2018 album, Invasion of Privacy, received harassing harassment, doxing, and even death threats from the BARBs. Following COVID-19 vaccine tweets, BARBs started to protest outside of the CDC in Atlanta. In a tweet from CBS reporter Tori Cooper, you could see the BARBs yelling, Fauci lied to me at cars leaving the C- CDC. And this is where um, this parasocial relationship is parallel To the far-right hate that started off as anti-vaxxers. Now, what the Barbs did this time, somebody leaked um, Megan's mom's resting place in the cemetery she was in and then uh, vandalized her mother's headstone. Can you believe that shit? The Barbs encapsulates the state of parasocial relationships in the present and they are scary. Um, they have unlimited access to their fave and constant validation from their peers and unchecked internet access who led Nicki Minaj to the status of uncancelable. In the eyes of the Barb, Nicki is their savior and could do no wrong. The moral implications is that she can escape accountability and sets a dangerous precedent to everybody else. So, misogynist of the week, we have Nicki Minaj. I hope you all enjoyed my solo my first solo pod. Um, I'm sure I'll get used to it as as I get more practice with it. But I definitely wanted to give you some content that you might not hear anywhere else. The Swifties one, yeah, you'll hear that. But I think it's important to look at all three of these issues and in terms of what what context they bring. Anyway, like I said, support Bad and Bitchy. Happy Black History Month. (laughs) Ha <laughs>